Hi, this is uh, Thump Their Podcast, where we discuss embedded Linux, IoT development, and anything else we might find interesting. And your hosts today are Cliff Brake and Kim Raj. Hey, Cliff, how are you? Hey, Kim. I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing fine, too. Thank you. Um, today, um, we basically are going to talk about um, Cliff's experience of uh, being a co-developer. So um, we would uh, basically go over how does a good developer approach various things. And uh, Cliff has been a uh, programming embedded systems for many, many years. Um, uh, so hey, Cliff, why don't you start with, you know, give us a little bit of story on your programming experience, uh, especially with embedded focus or otherwise? Sure. Yeah, so so Go or, or Golang, I guess Go is probably the more correct term, but it's it's a very inter interesting language and one I've really come to like a lot. I feel it's it's really brought a lot of benefits to some of the products we've worked on. And a little history, I, I kind of started with hardware, moved up through system software, you know, you bootloaders, Linux kernel. I've done a fair amount of C, C++ application programming in the last number of years. And, and now Go is my preferred application development for embedded Linux systems and also for cloud, cloud applications as well. And back in 2010, I just looked up on my blog. It was the first time I had looked at Go and I had cross-compiled an application for an ARM platform and I was able to get a, a Hello World program to run. But then when I put a floating point operation in it, it segfault. But so, you know, that was a long time ago, 2010 and, and, and this industry anyway. So, you know, Go has been around for quite a while and, and already back in 2010, they were targeting embedded architectures like ARM. So since then, I would say probably four or five years ago, we really started using it seriously in, in the products we're working on. And mo most of these products are in industrial type products for monitoring various types of systems, whether it be wastewater or irrigation. So these are systems that are deployed, embedded Linux systems that are deployed, and they need to be reliable, and we need to develop code uh, fairly quickly, and, and it also needs to be fairly efficient. You know, we're, we're on some fairly low-end processors, and as we develop these products, people always want to put more in than we ever planned on up front. So, so always having some headroom performance is good and, and and go has done very well there as, as well so so that's that's kind of the history I, I feel like go is a is a uh, is a good jump for those who have programmed in C and C++ the, the syntax is very similar and it's a it's a fairly easy transition I feel for, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. those types of programmers yeah and I think one of the things that um, that strikes me um, is it's how easy it is to cross compile using oh. And the Go compiler, and you know, I myself uh, find it interesting. You know, I maintain cross compiling tool chains for C, C++ for you know uh, projects like Open Embedded, Yocto, um, and it's not easy. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are many many things you have to consider, and here you have the language runtime and tooling, which basically is giving you that out of box experience, and that's very powerful. So. Um, how do you kind of like you know differentiate your experience of using Go and say another language that you did in the past um, with respect to the tooling aspects of it? Yeah, so like you mentioned, the, the Go tooling is phenomenal in that you can cross compile easily. 
So we can build application. We can build binaries on 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 a Linux workstation, or and we can target Windows, Mac OS, ARM Linux, and and uh, probably a number of other systems that I don't currently use. And this is all as simple as setting a few environment variables. So this is a very different experience than say C plus plus or mm-hmm. or any other environment. One other thing that really differentiates Go is it embeds the runtime in it in the binary. That's the de- default. So you have a, a garbage collection and and various other runtime elements that are fairly small. You know, maybe a megabyte or two, and these get embedded right in your binary when you build it. So mm-hmm. it's not like Java or Python or Ruby or Node.js where you have to ship this big bloated runtime separate mm-hmm. from the application you want to ship, and that really makes deployment easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's efficient enough that it it costs a little bit, you know, to ship the bi- ship the runtime in the binary, but it's it's not huge, and the benefits far, far outweigh the cost. So I, I guess a little more little more overview of Go. It's it's a compiled language, but it does have a runtime where you have garbage collection mm-hmm. and memory management. So so um, that's uh, that's really powerful. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, putting my C, C++ developer hat on is that people spend a lot of time, you know, uh, tools, post-processing tools, so to speak, that helps your development, especially code coverage or mm-hmm. static analyzers or, you know, linters and things like that. So uh, how does that look like in Go? Yeah, maybe back to the build environment, you know, just backing up a step. You know, in the C++ world or Java world, you know, or, or even the Node Node.js world, usually you have a third-party tool like CMake or um, mm-hmm. let's see what are like Parcel or Webpack in the Node.js world. Typically, you need a third-party tool to do your build and manage dependencies and all that. Mm-hmm. With Go, it's all built in to the Go uh, tool. So you run Go Go build and your main.go file and out, out comes a Go binary. And they've really done an exceptional job with the tooling and integrating it in. And so there's really very little need for a lot of external tooling within the Go ecosystem. The Go build tool manages dependencies mm-hmm. with Go modules. That works pretty well. There's built-in support for running unit tests with Go test. There's a uh, built-in support for code formatting. So the Go, Go community is standardized on one format. It's kind of like the Model T, Ford Model T. You can either have black or black. You know, you can mm-hmm. have, either have the Go format or the Go format. <laughs> Take it or leave it, you know. And and, and it's uh, having consistently formatted code is, is really nice. And it's, yeah. it's uh, well worth, I think, any any trade-off of everybody doing it different. So so beyond that, there's there's a tool called GoVet and GoLint. And these just do other checks, like make sure you have your exported functions documented. There's a Go imports tool that automatically adds and removes import statements based on what code you're using, what imports you're actually using. So that saves a lot of time. You don't have to figure out what what imports you need. That's very powerful, um, actually. Oh, yeah. It saves a ton of time. It, it keeps it clean. <clears throat> Otherwise, you might have six unused imports at the top of your file, you know, that you don't even know you're not using. So so imports are more like includes, right, in the C, C++ world? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I was going through a, a report from Chromium Project where they were analyzing their build times. And most of the time the compiler is spending is actually in pre-processing. Sure. 
and yeah. uh, string.edge is the most hit um, header that is being processed by you know a lot of programs so you know so they were optimizing to not use that or make like some smart forward declarations and things like that um, but yeah it is actually uh, to your point very important that you only include what you need uh, and Many times, you know, you include it for different reason. Maybe it is indirect include because it's being used elsewhere, and you stick it in a header file, and then it starts being processed everywhere, and you don't realize. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, that's a very powerful feature. Yeah, and the the Go language is very simple. It's purposefully simple, and they really resist adding features unless they're very well thought out. So it's 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 a different culture than the C plus plus world where. In C++, the goal is to add as many features as we can, you know, and go. It's the, the, the goal is to keep things as simple as possible. And one of the side effects of that is Go, Go programs compile very quickly because the language is easy to analyze and the compiler doesn't have to work nearly as hard as it does with C++ program or even, even a JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So as a result, programs compile in in way less than a second even big projects you know your first compile may be at two seconds but incremental compiles are like you know mm -hmm. you, you, they're so fast you don't even wait for them so that's a very different experience than in c++ mm -hmm. where i've been on projects where the first compile takes a half an hour mm -hmm. and i'm sure there were problems in the code like you said with too many dependencies mm -hmm. or includes that could have been improved but you know, that's just a typical C++ experience versus a Go experience. And, you know. So one of the things that, you know, you generally have is like, you know, memory leaks and, and that sort of thing, which is basically comes very late in your development cycle, you know, and then yeah. <laughs> you, you spend a ton of time doing that. And, you know, some uh, tools are available for you. And then the, those are like, uh, not part of your workflow, but you know you kind of like integrate them or get folks who are interested in that. How does that look like in Go? Yeah, so you know, first the <clears throat> the C plus plus perspective. You know what we're used to in that world is deploying an application to hundreds of units, and it's crashing on maybe one or two, mm -hmm. and it's it's out in the field. You don't have any way to reproduce a problem, so you're you're going through heroics to. To build tooling to capture core dumps and then pull them back and run them through a debugger locally and you know that that is just an incredibly hard exercise i it, it, it's just un, un, unbelievably hard and with go we've deployed you know several i'd say four good size applications to embedded systems you know where we've got tens to hundreds of units in the field running. And I don't think we've ever had a memory leak or memory exception, you know, that caused the program to crash. Once or twice, we, we have had an array out of bounds issue that caused the program to crash. But mm -hmm. um, again, those, those are very rare. And it's it's just one of those things that make makes working in this ecosystem so much better than, than anything I've used in the past. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote an article called wired go programs so reliable it's on my blog we'll, we'll include it in the show notes but it's yeah. it's uh, yeah it's been a really great experience excellent so um you know we talked about uh, some of the toolings around and how the paradigm is a little different um so how does this all play out into your uh, you know your day-to-day -day, um design practices and what are like some of your you know recommendations or best practices that a good developer uh, would do on like you know, daily basis when they are working with uh, with Go. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the one of the important things I believe is is to uh, is to have code formatting right in, right in your editor. So every time you save your file, it formats it. And another thing that I I do is <clears throat> is I set up a a build system where it's watching the files and it's continually rebuilding and it actually runs the vet and lint and and all that stuff on every build so that you know as soon as i make a code change it's it's rebuilding and i'm anything that goes wrong i see it right away the other thing i do is you can run go and uh with a race detector enabled so during my development flow i always have the race detector enabled and then that way if if i have two concurrent bits of code that aren't behaving properly and there's a race condition, I'll, I'll see that right away during the development flow rather than waiting till there's some problem and then coming back and enabling the race detector. So I, I believe that the more of this tooling you can run continuously while you're developing, you know, you'll it's a much better experience than waiting till you have problems and then coming back and try to fix stuff. Same right. with unit you same with unit tests. So, so basically, it helps you to shift your, um, you know, all these issues to the left of your development cycle, which means that they are easy to detect. Mm -hmm. They are not as expensive as they would be if it is happening in the field, and um, you know, your customers are uh, on you on fixing it. So, so yeah, total different experience. Yeah, um, the, the the go test um, functionality actually caches results, so it only reruns a test if a file changes. So that's another example where, you know, go test is very efficient because it's only testing files that have changed. So it's very, very fast. Mm, I see. And then, so, and then beyond the local environment, <clears throat> I also recommend running a CI process so that when you check your files into Git, you know, it'll it'll run the same set of checks as mm -hmm. part of a continuous integration. And, and I, I currently use Git Actions, which work pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Um, some of the things that I think, um, you know, because it is a managed runtime, so are you worried about like, you know, pointers that will kind of crash on you at runtime or how does your mental model shift, you know, when you're using Go? Um, how does it liberate you or at least, you know, remove that friction? Because there are so many things you can, you know, carry in your mind when you're programming, right? And so how does it, help you in thinking about the problem more and less about the programming yeah you know go still has pointers so you can you can pass pointers around versus values but in practice we rarely i mean there can be a null pointer and if you try to access a null pointer your your program will crash mm -hmm. but go has a convention of returning an error variable from most functions as the last return value so go you you can return multiple values from a function and the last last return value is typically an error parameter so a go idiom is you always check the error return before you do anything else so if a function returns a nil value, it'll also return an error. And since you're always checking errors and, and usually returning if you get an error, it, it's just that idiom and that, that way things are typically done in Go code. You very rarely get to the point where you try to use a nil value. I see. So that's a little different than other environments where they only return one variable. And then it's yeah. just not quite as obvious to check for errors. So um, I know that uh, you have, um, you know, uh, done a bunch of um, Go 
based uh, products, but um, one that is uh, kind of like out there in open is actually Simple IoT. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about Simple IoT here. Um, so would you give like a little overview of like um, Simple IoT and its design considerations around Golang and what are the, you know, the aspects of what we discussed so far, how are they practically applied to Simple IoT? Sure. So Simple IoT is a, is a, project where we're built we're creating a bunch of building blocks for IOT systems and it's written in go and and the back end is in or the front ends in elm the back ends in go and these building blocks cover a wide range of things from uh, reading modbus devices managing modems uh, running rules uh, user management group management so basically all the pieces you need for an IOT system where you you deploy some hardware that's collecting data sending it to the cloud, and then you want users to be able to log into some some device and remotely view data that's on a device out in the field. So so this is the, the typical IoT system we, we run into all the time. The Simple IoT project is just a, a, an attempt to collect the best practices, the best things we've learned from doing all these different projects and, and kind of build a framework that we can reuse for future projects. Mm-hmm. One of the innovative things I feel with Simple IoT is is the same application can run on an edge Linux device or in the cloud. And it's it's the same exact application. And you simply say one's an upstream instance of the other, and then the data gets forwarded up. And there's a fairly sophisticated uh, system for synchronizing data between the two systems. So let's say your edge device has a touchscreen UI. You can change values on the edge device they get synchronized up to the cloud, or you can change things in the cloud UI and they get synchronized down. And it's um, a, a lot of the way it works is based on some some distributed system theory, uh, Merkle trees and such that allow us to to do that without conflicts and, and also efficiently. Mm-hmm. So Go Go has been an, an excellent an excellent fit for that project because you know it's it's fast and efficient enough to run on an edge device, but powerful enough to run in the cloud. So. Mm-hmm. And so if you uh, look at like, um, so tell us about like how um, a simple IoT uh, change is developed and you know, what's the workflow looks like? So basically all the things we've talked about as far as is running the tooling while you're developing and so on is all, is all built into the project. So clone the, the project, there's an nsetup.sh file, which basically populates your environment with a bunch of shell functions. And these shell functions uh, do a number of things, mostly just running the build or watching and rebuilding automatically. You know, other developers have suggested switching to make, switching to make for various reasons, but I've, I've just kind of stuck with this Bash-based system because it, it works well enough and it's simple. It's uh, I, I, do, I use it regularly on Linux and Mac OS. Obviously, it, on Windows, it's probably not a good fit. So, mm-hmm. but. You know, go go build so easily. We could have a parallel system for developing on Windows, and it really wouldn't cost much to maintain that either. So, mm-hmm. and and talk about like um, the publishing process that you have. So, you know, when a pull request comes to GitHub, and mm-hmm. how does that build up, and how do you cut releases? And uh, so th- that's a, uh, also interesting part of the project. Yeah. So at any time we push a pull request, <coughs> it's on a branch. And then the the CI and in, in, in GitHub runs, and then once the CI passes it, you know GitHub will allow us to merge the request to master. And then to actually do a release, there's a really neat project called Go Releaser, 
and it's it's a tool where you can just run it and it builds assets for Linux, Windows, a couple ARM variants, and I'm not sure what else, but you know, it builds maybe seven or eight binaries, uploads them to GitHub automatically, creates a release, mm-hmm. you, you know, with with one command and a and maybe five minutes of processing on my workstation and uploading, I can have a full release done for a whole host of different platforms. I see. And, um, all, all, all from one workstation, you know, there's no need to run a, a separate Windows box to do my Windows build and a Mac mm. OS box running Xcode to do my Mac OS build. And so it's right. it, it's really amazing that we can publish all those assets that easily. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really amazing. And I look at the releases over there and, you know, you have like this all different releases being cut out and it seems like there's a huge team behind it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so easy to do releases, you know, that anytime I add a feature, I do a release, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh it's nice. Okay. So, um what do you think are the, you know, skills that a go programmer um who is pursuing go or is kind of, you know, in the go mind uh need to kind of like any advice you have for them? Yeah, I, I feel go is is a very easy language to learn. Uh, probably the easiest, one of the easiest ones out there. Python may be easier, but Go would be, you know, right, right behind it. So I, I don't really feel like it's, it's hard to learn. Certainly not as hard as Elm or, mm-hmm. or JavaScript or some of those other languages. But it's important to understand the Go idioms. You know, every, every language, if if you understand the best practices and idioms, uh, life will be better. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the best practices in Go is is you start small. You start with one module in, in one directory, and then you write your code. And then once once the code kind of gets too big for that module, you make two modules, and then three, and so on. And you keep building out your code. And then, then when it makes sense to, to split that out into another directory, which is called a package in Go, then you, then you create a directory, and you just kind of build it out. Mm-hmm. Rather than start with some template with with fifty directories and tons of boilerplate, you know, you don't really need that. You just start small, and because it's stat, it's a statically compiled language and it's typed. As you move stuff around, the compiler tells you exactly what you need to change. So it's it's not hard. Mm-hmm. And um, cool. So um, any podcasts that you know you listen to around GoLang, uh, the Go language, or ecosystem or any blogs or books that you like recommend the go communities is pretty nice i've i've it's been a real nice experience so far so there's the go time podcast which is real good if you want to learn about various resources there's lots of books out there lots of tutorials huge amounts of information if you learn best with videos or courses there's options for that books I, i've not really read any of the books so but i'm sure they're good mm-hmm and then the other resource I highly recommend is the Go Slack channel. It's it's there's a lot of people there, but there's a beginners channel, and if you have any questions, you can go ask there, and and people are real helpful. So excellent, excellent. So I think that was a very uh, a very good learning experience, and I'm hopeful that everyone who listens to this will enjoy from your experiences as well as have a few things to learn and inculcate into you know their daily practices. So um, thank you very much, Cliff, uh, for yeah. this informative session. And um, th- 
thanks for listening to us. So it was, um, uh, if you like us, give us five stars on uh, your podcatchers. Um, and uh, we'll be back soon with our uh, next episode. Yeah, looking forward to it. So thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.